0: Let me hear what God will speak, for He will speak peace to His people, to His saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely His salvation is near to those who fear Him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet, righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before Him and make His footsteps away. Those are verses 8 to 13 of Psalm 85, which along with Psalm 86 are the psalms appointed for today, Thursday, June 16, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being with me today. We are continuing our look at Numbers, the book of Numbers. It's uh, chapter 12, verses 1 to 16 in the gospel. We're in Matthew um, 18, chapter 18, verses 10 to 20, and then in Paul's letter to the Roman church chapter 2 verses 12 to 24 so remember kind of what's been going on here right i mean in the in the um, numbers passage we we've just come from the the dramatic provision of quail but also the lord providing elders to help moses with his work and now here here comes another challenge but this time it's personal and it's it's close to home Miriam and Aaron, his brother and sister, or sister and brother in, in order, spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And so we're not sure exactly what's happened here. It, has his wife died? Is this a second wife? Whatever. The, man, there are some interesting... Uh, Jewish uh, commentary on this, that that, that Cushite woman, who, that, who it is and all this kind of stuff, there's some interesting commentary about that. We just don't know. But it's it this woman from the land of Cush, which is sort of between Egypt and Israel. And so has he brought somebody into the camp that shouldn't be there? What's going on here? Is she a convert? What is happening here? Is Zipporah still alive here or is she dead? What's happened? So but what we know is the two of them speak against Moses because he's done this. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? Now Miriam, remember, is considered a prophetess. And one of the, the first place that they see that Miriam was a prophet was to do with Moses. It, and, and she stood by the river after they put the basket in the, in the river. She stood there and waited. And when Pharaoh's daughter found him, then she was Johnny on the spot to say, you want me to get one of the Hebrew women to be his wet nurse? And so she went and got her mother. <laughs> you know, and, and so, but what they say is that's her first act of prophecy, that she knew it, her mother didn't because her mother left the baby and went on, but, but Miriam remained. And it's because she believed that something was going to happen, and she wanted to be there, and she knew that she was supposed to be there in order for that next step to move in the right direction. And so she's considered a prophetess there. And so at some level, Miriam could be looking and saying, well, you know what? There wouldn't be a Moses if it weren't for me. And Aaron is the older brother. So you can see this jealousy thing that's welled up in them that we see, well, played out multiple times, right? Jacob and Esau, Joseph and his brothers, I mean, on and on and on. You see this same thing, David and his brothers. And, and, and so here, it, it's, there's this issue between them. And they speak against him, and the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. He's not going to defend himself and plead his case. He he believes and trusts in the Lord to handle these kind of situations. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and Miriam, Come on out, you three, to the tent of meeting. That's usually just where Moses went, but Joshua, remember, would stay outside the tent and watch over it while Moses was in there. So now he's calling all three of them to the tent. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. You know, the, the, personal chastisement by God, that's, that. wow. <laughs> and he said, hear my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He's faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them and he departed. When the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. It's interesting because what you see in that, if you think about the, the, the action of all of this, so you've got the three of them standing there. The cloud comes down over them. The Lord speaks from the cloud. And when the cloud is removed, something's changed. And if you think about that, then what you are what you should think about, it, I've tried to paint the picture well enough, but I probably didn't, but, but you should be thinking about transfiguration. Because four men go up the mountain. When they get there, two of them fall asleep, or three of them fall asleep, and then they wake up and they see one— speaking with two others, and then a cloud comes down. And then when the cloud removes, they're gone. Here, it's the same thing. Miriam is leprous like snow. Well, remember at Transfiguration, Jesus's garments are turned white, whiter than any fuller on earth could get them. And, and his countenance was changed. Here's the other way around. God's judgment comes, and that judgment comes on Miriam, and she's leprous like snow. It's not a good thing. And Aaron turned towards Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, do not punish us. I mean, is he thinking Moses is the one doing the punishment? Because we've done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one who is dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried out to the Lord, Oh, God, please heal her, please. You can hear that brotherly affection that he has there for his sister. And, and Aaron is just mortified. Like, is this going to continue forever? This is a horrible thing that's happened. And so here we go. I'm going to talk about this just for a second today. But but this is what they believe. This is when they talk about leprosy. And you see lepers come to Jesus all the time. And, and they have to cry out, unclean, unclean, or impure, impure, so that people don't come near them and, and catch their contamination. But this leprosy... In Jewish thought, it's not Hansen's disease, which we know as leprosy today. No, they say this is a skin condition, and it's caused by speaking evil words. And that they have, Miriam and Aaron, have spoken evil words against their brother Moses here. And the the punishment for that, then, is um, this leprous condition. And so the the way that they interpret the passage concerning what do you do— with a leper, the leper has to come and show that they have been cleansed, that the priest has to examine the places where the leprosy had been, and they have to certify that it is indeed. All traces of it are gone, and then the leper has to make a sin offering. And so that's why they say that this is a sin, the condition is caused by sin. And this is the first leper right here, and so that's the reason that they say it's this speaking evil words within the camp that that this leprous condition is a result of that and so that's the way they see it and so if you think about it when Jesus sends them back with the lepers when he clear here's one or ten he tells them to do something go show yourself to the priest and do what they command you to do so they're commanded to go and offer a sin offering because Jesus has not yet risen from the dead he has not yet atoned for sin so the sacrificial system is still in place for this. And so that in order to be restored to the community, that's what you have to do. And so Jesus has them do that. Here, Moses, I believe, Moses' prayer is efficacious. I believe that when he prays for her, he intercedes for Miriam. She sinned against him, she sinned against the Lord, obviously. And and now he intercedes as Jesus does for us. And so she's not required to make a sin offering here. He says so the Lord said to her if her father had spit in her face should she not be shamed seven days in other words that's a, that's something that would happen if you committed certain kinds of sins in that or or, or with, if they uh, acted against the father disrespected or brought dishonor on the father then that's the punishment would be the, the they would spit in the in the face of the child and she would be shamed for seven days so he says let her be shut outside the camp seven days and after that she may be brought in again as opposed to having to offer that sin offering. And so it's because of Moses' intercession that that happened. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march until she was brought in again. And after that, the people set out from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. So there's this interpersonal sin that had to be dealt with. God said, you can't just gloss over this thing. She's brought dishonor on you. By what she did, and she's brought dishonor on me because I'm the one who chose you. And so she has questioned not just you, but me and my authority. And that's got to be punished. And so Moses sought for her to to be free of the punishment. And it's interesting because Miriam doesn't speak in this, only Aaron speaks and and, but so so she she, they deal with the interpersonal sin moses forgives her and then pleads to god for her forgiveness and yet at the same time she has sinned against god and there's a punishment for that and and the point is to say you won't do that again now will you so it's important that we deal with sin between individuals but then god ultimately controls everything going forward sin against him is not as lightly and easily dismissed so in the gospel today we're going to get that same thing he says see that you do not despise one of these little ones he's talking about children remember and he's just said don't teach them to sin don't lead them into temptation he says for i tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven what a beautiful picture that is to think of all these angels who are watching over these children who always see the face of god are always gazing upon him. There's an innocence in there that's really, really important for us to see. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, doesn't he leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? Of course he does. And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. And that's you can see that in the parable of the prodigal son, right? The the one who goes astray is the one he celebrates. He said we could always celebrate. I would always get anything you want is mine. He says to the older brother who didn't go astray, but but he he didn't go astray for the wrong reasons. He he saw himself as a servant to the father, and the father wouldn't have that when the younger son confessed. So here, yes, you would rejoice over the one that you found. You know, we've dealt with that in our own lives multiple times. So it's not the will of my Father who's in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. In other words, God's looking after them. He has no desire to see a child go astray and lose their eternal life. He said, if your brother sins against you, now so he, this is in contrast to if a wicked man strikes you on the cheek, turn the other. Is if a brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Deal with it just interpersonally. Don't bring everybody else into it. And the problem is, way too often what we do is we, we do exactly the opposite. The only person we don't talk to is the person who sinned against us. We tell everybody else about it. We don't go talk to that person. Jesus says, "Nope, do it this way. Go straight to the person who sinned against you. If they're if they're your brother, then it's important that you give them an opportunity to do that, and that you not um, ruin their reputation. When it might just be that they, I'm so sorry, I, I had no idea, I wasn't aware. I, I'm sorry, I did the wrong thing. So it, what he wants is to you no know, deal with it interpersonally and privately first. And if he listens to you, then you've gained your brother. So so everything is cool. Uh, but if he does not listen, then take two or." other to one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses so there's, there's got to be people there because there's there's always <laughs> two sides to every story now it, so so that's the reason you're going to be there so it, it, they're going to go with you first and, and they're going to make a decision one way or another and if he refuses to listen to them then tell it to the church make it a broader issue and if he refuses to listen even to the church let him be to you as a gentile and a tax collector and others cast him out let him be like a leper let them be outside the camp until they deal with this sin. The problem is that, that in our society, in the church world today, you can do that. You could follow this whole process, and you know what likely would be the outcome? I mean, I hate to say this, but it's true. They would go to another church. <laughs> they wouldn't listen to the counsel of the church. It got to the point where at the at the end of my ministry here in, in church itself, that we when somebody would come to me new and they would have things to say bad about the congregation or the pastor they came from, I would tell them that I need you to go back and talk to that pastor or I need to talk to that pastor and find out what went on. It's important that we not just receive people into the church whenever they have grievances that they want to air when they come in. Um, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And that's context means everything. It doesn't mean that they can bless sin no, what he's done is they bound this person and sent them out. It, it Contextually, it follows directly on this and means the same thing because the church has made a decision and they have bound this sin and this sinner and set them outside of the camp. They can come back, but the way back is repentance. It's confession. It's all that. And so they've bound it, sent it out, but they can loose it when they come back and repent of that sin. So whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And, and this two or three relates back to when he told you know the second step of the process was to take one or two others with you and then go out and confront the sinner. And, and so those can pray for forgiveness for that person if they do. And it's the same Principle you see in Job, where he's required to go pray for the ones, the friends who came and accused him of sin. But his blessing is contingent on that, and their forgiveness is contingent on him doing that. It's good for everybody. We prove that we've forgiven when we pray for that person that they would be blessed. In the epistle today, we're continuing on Paul's argument about all have sinned. Um, And and he's convicting the world of sin and, and therefore the need of the cross and the need of Jesus. He says, for all who have sinned without the law, in other words, those Gentiles who don't know anything about the law, will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. So we can't just come and listen to sermons every week or even give sermons every week, as he's going to say here in a minute, and and then not deal with sin in our own lives. You can't just depend on grace. Ultimately, grace, he said, was to lead you to repentance. So hearing it isn't good enough. Doing is what gets you justification. It proves that you have faith. It proves that he is not just your Savior, but your Lord He says, for when Gentiles who don't have the law by nature do what the law requires, they're a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. I've mentioned this before. Several years ago, it got people really upset. There was an atheist who asked Pope Francis, who's not my favorite, by the way, um, asked him about sin and how, how, it was, how it played out in his life. And the Pope said, have you ever done anything against your conscience? Well, yes, I have. He said, well, that's sin for you. And so that it's taken from this passage right here in Romans. I mean, it's not it's not bad theology at all to say your conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day. So even if, Paul says, you don't have the law, then it's, there's, a, there's a way by which the law can still convict you, and that's your conscience, because that, too, is a gift from God. So if you do something against your conscience, even if you don't have the law of God, whenever you violate your own conscience and do something against it, then that's sin, and it's a sin that has to be dealt with, and there's only one way to deal with it, and that's the cross. He said, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and prove what's excellent because you're instructed from the law, and if you're sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. In other words, if you know the law and if you're a teacher of the law, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You say that one must not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it's written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. In other words, that when we don't whenever we pretend to righteousness and yet practice unrighteousness, then the name of God is blasphemed, because his name's at stake, because we were given his name. And he said that, that honor of his name is the most important thing. Don't take his name in vain, because that dishonors his name, not just in your life, but in the lives of everybody else who sees you and knows what you claim to be. So we as Christians need to hold that same thing tightly. We need to deal with sin ruthlessly in our own lives and in, in interpersonal things in order that we might understand grace, in order that we might know what it means to be truly forgiven, not excused, but forgiven, so that our sins might be put away. But but it's important that we deal with sin in our own lives, but then here Jesus also says, deal with it ruthlessly in the body as well. For one reason, it's reconciliation. We deal with it ruthlessly in ourselves so that we might be reconciled to God. We deal with it ruthlessly in the body for the same reason, so that we can be reconciled to one another and therefore that the assembly, the community is whole again because there's not enmity between members of that community caused by sin. There can be enmity for many reasons, and it's all sin ultimately. But, but what he wants is, is a body of people who love him and who love one another and have unity with one another that's not broken by sin in the same way we have unity with him that's not broken by sin. And Jesus is the answer for every single bit of that.